You're listening to the Co-op Book Podcast. chat. Hello, Richard. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm very well. Um, now, Richard is a well-known broadcaster, um, author, humorous, Elvis tragic, and presenter of the ABC Sydney Drive show. But we're talking about Richard's autobiography, Flesh Wounds. Um, Richard, first, what's it like to be the interviewee as opposed to the interviewer? Oh, a little bit weird. Yeah, I have three hours every day where I talk to people, so it's a bit strange having the Tables turned. Okay, well, this, this isn't 60 Minutes, so there's nothing. <laughs> um, now, Flesh Wounds is very different to your other books. Or, you know, it, it's a lot more personal. Um, what was it like writing an autobiography? Um, look, I, I don't know if it's an autobiography. I, th- I think of it as a very particular um, um, part of life, which is it's a really a book not about the whole of my life, um, but about... A, one's relationship with one's parents. And the question the book asks really is, um, are neglectful parents slightly, you know, the, the sort of parents that you might not order, are they survivable? And, you know, the, the, the really strong conclusion of the book is that they are. So it's a book about the eccentricities of my particular family, but I think it's also, I hope it's a book for anybody who had parents, the sort of parents you wouldn't necessarily order. And it's partly about the... The, the, this amazing resilience of human beings that quite a lot of us survive these sort of um, upbringings and we survive them well. And we do so by creating this quilt of love that we, we, we find the love elsewhere. And with different people, you find the love in different places. I think for me it was my New Guinea nanny. I think it was, the, um, I think it was Steve Stevens, the man who came into my life when both of my parents had left um, I think it's pr- probably my partner who I got together with very early. And this will be different for different people. But I think it's important to say, I suppose, that of, of how common it is to, to have non-ideal parents. We have a whole language of parenting of how a mother's love for a child is automatic and inexorable and built into our DNA. And we talk about cats and their kittens and cows and their calves and dogs and their puppies and all this sort of stuff. As if, as if it's incredibly rare not to have that. And if you didn't have it, well, not only is that almost freakish, but you, would, you, sh- you have the right to feel especially aggrieved. You probably can't live a successful life yourself. You certainly can't be a successful parent yourself. And yet, and yet, you know, even though it is kind of built into our DNA for mothers to love their children and fathers to love... Even though that's true, there are so many barriers to the effective delivery of that love. You know, there's fathers who lost their job and became depressed. There's mothers who went on the pills. There's alcoholism. There's heroin addiction. In in my case, if it doesn't sound too uh, weird, there's the British class system and my mother's self-lacerating attempts to escape it. And and you know what? what but but you, the the truth is that even though all those things are so common. But we need to understand they're common and we need to understand that most of us survive it, that most of us aren't drug addicted and uh, suicidal and depressed. Most of us actually get over these childhoods. We live successful lives and we are, and this is a very defiant part of the book, we are good parents ourselves. 
by calling it flesh wounds, though, you're implying that, you know, we still carry some of those burdens from the past. But they're only flesh wounds. You know, I mean, obviously it's a pun in a way because they're, they're, they're wounds that are born of your flesh, of your flesh and blood of your parents. But, but, but yeah, the, the, the other point about that pun is... All my works have got puns in them. Um, the, the point about that pun is that it's a flesh wound. It's, it's not a deep wound. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a wound from which you can recover. Well, that, That's that, the point of the title. And sort of referring to that Monty Python gag where, you know, there's an arm getting chopped off. It goes, just a flesh wound. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, what about the process of writing this book? Was it different to your other books or is it you know, a lot more personal? Yeah, look, uh, I've, you know, I've written a lot of humour books in the past and, yes, this has been different. This has been kind of ripped from my heart and thrown <laughs> bleeding on the desk, I suppose. Although it's got a lot of humour in it and I think, I think part of the book is, is how you can use humour and perspective to, um, as a stick particularly jokes as a stick to hold at bay reality and to get a perspective on, on reality. The book, I think, in the end, maybe shows the limits of that too, mm-hmm. that you can do that to a certain extent. You can't do it completely. Mm-hmm. And the book tussles, and I don't know if it ever re-answers this, but it tussles with the idea of, of whether you can hold inadequate parents at a remove and not, in the end, deal with them um, you know, there's a view among psychiatrists that you have to, you have to deal with your parents, and you have to have the deathbed discussion, and you have to somehow resolve the issues. Um, and the book questions that, and asks whether, you know, that's all very well, but some parents aren't particularly well suited to that process. And what do you do then? And can you hold them at a reserve, or do you have to, in the end, engage with them somehow? And there's a, uh, you know, I think. I don't know if that's answered clearly in the book, but there's, it goes some way to answering that. And I think one of the things that does come through, to me anyway, is you really portray eras and generations and how they've changed in different, um, mm. you know... Parenting styles. Parenting yeah. styles. And yeah. um, I imagine at some stage in the future you'll become a grandparent yourself, mm. maybe. Um how how do you think you reacted to your parenting in your mm. to the way you were parented in your parenting? Well, well God, I think well, I, well, in terms of my parenting, I think I am a very good parent, and I think a lot of people who have bad parents are quite good parents. And so uh, I've already said that in a way, but I think that's a very strong message in the book. As far as the different parenting styles go, I mean, one of the other things that I say in the book, which I think is really true, is that a lot of the neglect um, and dis uninterest uninterest. A lot of the neglect and uninterest I, um, I'm not going to say suffered, I, I um, experienced, it was really common. So some of, these, some of the things in this book are really about my very eccentric family. I don't think everybody reading it will have been artificial insemination baby, and I don't think everyone will have had a, a, a mother who ran off to a Tolkien nudist colony. I don't think everybody will have a father who ended up having five wives. I think some of these things I can claim as, as eccentricities colourful eccentricities of my own story. But I think a lot of the other things in the book are really shared. Um, the idea of bad parenting in various forms, the idea of surviving it in various forms, the idea of finding love elsewhere in, in various forms, and the idea that parents in the 60s and 70s really weren't that interested. Um, a lot of, I mean, some of them were, obviously, but there's a whole language now of criticism for today's young parents as being helicopter parents and, and not 
affording their children any risk, and it's the subject of a million talkback radio discussions and Facebook posts. We used to ramble the fields. We could stay out till dark, and my <laughs> mum would... And, and all of that goes on, and, and by contrast, today's parents are, are criticised as being... as crushing their children's mm. spirit. And, and the tone is... And, it, look, and maybe it's true that we've over... over uh, you know, gone too far in the opposite direction, and, and we do need to to uh, to change the risk profile a bit for our children. Um, but you know, the tone of those discussions is as if the parents of the fifties and sixties and seventies were making some sort of very intelligent um, assessment of risk about their children, and um, and allowing their children this level of play because of it. And that wasn't what was going on. What was going on was they were interested in other things, and they didn't see parenting as particularly um, central to their life. They were in a helicopter themselves, flying off, <laughs> flying away. You know, the definition of a good father in those days really was, um, you know, the, the good father was the father who, when he put the three kids in the Valiant outside the pub, would remember halfway through the drinking session to go and take them a lemonade. That was the good father. You're very... For all the foibles of both your parents... You're very accepting of them. You're not. You, you, was there ever a stage that you were resentful, judgmental? Like, well, I think I held them at, at a distance, really. And and I, you know, and it's important to say they weren't cruel parents, or you know, that they were uninterested rather than actively terrible. Um, and so, yes, I think I disconnected with them from them very early, but and 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 always was attempted to be dutiful towards them without necessarily engaging with them emotionally to the extent that I was angry or not angry. Um, and again, I, you know, I think the book plays with that idea of whether that's entirely possible. Is it, is it entirely... I, I say in the book that I, I, felt of, I thought of myself as, as self-raising like flower. <laughs> you know, and is that just a, a glib way of pretending that the hurt, the existential hurt, I suppose, of, of having an uninterested mother um, doesn't matter? Is it a glib way of pushing it aside, or is it something real? And, and again, you'll have to read the book, really, to because I, I don't have a simple answer to to any of these things. But you know, I certainly think that was that was what I attempted to do. I attempted to focus on what was successful in my life, rather than focus on what was unsuccessful. And I think that's a technique that a lot of people use, and I think it can be quite a successful technique for, for whatever the criticism of that that your you know psychologist will uh, will make. Now, a lot of our listeners are university age, and I would say a, a lot of the tumultuous period that you're, you refer to in the book happened when you're in that, mm. that kind mm. of age. Firstly, what was uni like for you? Um, well, you know, it was something that I, I tended really, and there's quite a lot in the book about, about sort of aiming low in life and then missing. I, I had a real dream of being a basically a, a, an assistant floor manager in television, which in the early stages of which means dreaming of being a coffee boy, dreaming of being sufficiently successful to be allowed to serve coffee to actors. Um, and, I, and I really gave it a red-hot go for a long period of time and kept on um, failing at, at, at getting a job. And I finally went to ANU in Canberra, partly, I think, just because I was still trying to do this dream and I really wanted just somewhere to park my name park my, you know, so I had something I was at least um, supposedly doing while I, you know, kept on applying for these jobs and kept on getting rejected from them. And I think all that happened was that halfway through 
first year in university, I just started slowly getting interested in it. And I started doing um, Waroni at Canberra, and then I moved to Sydney and started doing Onisoir, and I started community radio, 2XX in Canberra, and I started getting actually interested in the, in the academic studies. Um, and, uh, and, 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 yes, and by the time I was in year two, second year at Sydney, I actually became quite academic and hardworking and became really quite dutiful, and I ended up doing history honours and doing quite well and um, writing a lot for the student newspaper and doing suds in Sydney and, and all of that and ended up loving university. But I really fell into it by accident. Look, Richard, I really appreciate uh, your time because it's, it's, and I highly recommend anyone to have a look at, have a look, have a read, purchase it from the co-op bookstore for God's sake, because um, it's it's a great read and it really it really does have that message of resilience and getting through things. Just a final message: if you were to be able to sort of travel back in time and say something to a young Richard Glover, what would you say? Uh, stop dreaming of serving coffee to actors and get on with it. Richard, <laughs> thanks for your Go time. to uni, work hard. 